finish this with me. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. First prayer I learned. How many of y'all learned that prayer? Night, nighttime prayer. <laughs> when you start looking at those words, what were we thinking? What were our parents thinking? I, if I should die before I wake, no wonder we thought there were monsters on the bed or monsters in the closet, right? If I should die before, whoa. I mean, you start thinking about that. The little kids don't think about that often. I don't remember thinking that, but I, if I was thinking about that, I'd be terrified, right? But it really is true. We don't get any day promised to us. Every day could be our last. And that might be so morbid to you, but I really think it's important for us to think every once in a while about, about death. I think it's important for us to think about death and, and learn the great lessons there are in life from those thoughts. We've come now in our study of Joseph to his death in Genesis chapter 50. <laughs> you know, I, I was telling my family this the other night, and Jessica said, aren't you done talking about Joseph yet? You know, she's lucky I'm not as ornery as I used to be. A a few years ago, maybe last year, I would have said, no, I think I'm going to go back and start all over again. (laughs) Maybe you're tired of Joseph too, but I I hope not. And some of uh, folks came after the first service and said, well, we've learned so much. You think about this, out of all of the characters we see in the Old Testament, Joseph really is, other than being a little full of himself when he was a little boy, he, he really is a great model for us in life. And even more, I think of him as a type of Jesus. That is, he modeled what a person could be, not to the level of being the Son of God, but but he shows us that you can live a real life victoriously, that you can live a real life full of faith. And so today we're going to look at his death. Now, not only in Genesis 50 is the death of Joseph recorded, but also in the first part of it, uh, the death of Jacob his father. And if you're in a small group that does the questions that I write, uh, you actually are going to talk about the death of Jacob instead of the death of Joseph in your uh, sermon or your questions. And I'll say to you, uh, you might, if you're not in a small group, read through the first part of Genesis and and you can learn from that as well. These lessons about death uh, really can teach us a lot about living. In particular, we're going to focus in on Joseph's death. And the things it can teach us. The first thing I I think of, uh, the first thing that jumps out at me when I look at the death of Joseph is the promised land. The promised land. Uh, Watch what happens here. Watch what Joseph is focused on as he gets to the end of his life. Now it starts with verse 20, or at least this passage does. This is right in the aftermath of Jacob's death. And the brothers of Joseph, uh, they have this moment, these moments of second doubt. Uh, second thoughts. They're thinking now that, that our father's gone, Joseph, he might just, like people do, he might forget about his forgiveness and he might get vengeance on us now. And so Joseph says this to him, and uh, verses 20 to 22 are very powerful verses. So we begin there. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Uh, Joseph's main thought was he was going to be a servant of God. And when he says these things to his brothers, you really can understand this as God talking to his brothers, and you can understand it by extension as God talking to us. 
So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. That's what God does. God promised to provide for them through their brother Joseph. He promised to protect them. He promised to take care of them. And friends, I'll tell you this. If you believe in Christ, if you will live by faith, you can know those same promises are made to you uh, throughout Scripture. I can point to many verses that say God will provide for you. God will protect you. God will take care of you. And that's what he says to his brothers. Now, between verse 22 and 23, a span of 50 years passes. Uh, It doesn't say that, but just trust me. We go from what he says to his brothers right after the death of their father to Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Ephraim was his son, uh, so that is, he was a great-grandfather, a great-great-grandfather. And also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, now we're not told if all 10 of them or 11 of them were still alive. I, I think at least 10 of them were older than him, but we don't know that. But he says to them, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid. Again, he's a servant of God, and he's communicating to them a promise of God. God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath, and he said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. That's what he's concerned about. That's what he's thinking about, is where he'll be buried. He's thinking about this promise of the the future, the promised land. So Joseph died at the age of 110. After they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. That jumps out at me that he was thinking about the promised land. He was thinking about the land promised to his fathers. He remembered the promise made to Abram and to Isaac and to Jacob, his dad. He remembered those promises. And and don't you know, that's exactly what happened. He actually was taken up uh, some 400, 300, 400 years later. Uh, back to be buried in that land. Uh, we see that, the promise in Genesis 12, 1 and 3. The Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Uh, Abram lived then in the Ur of the Chaldees, which is in modern-day Iran, and God moved him, to, told him to pack up all of his, everything he had, all of his family, and move 900 miles. That was a lot of, harder to do then. You didn't have U-Hauls or moving companies it moved all the way down here. This is a promised land. Now, they lived in an arid climate, but here in the promised land, the land modern day of Israel, it actually is quite green. There's a lot of fresh water relatively for that part of the, the world. He said, go from your country, your, father, your people, and your father's household, the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That the promised land was the land of the people of God. The land of Israel. Well, because of this famine, because what was green, the promised land, turned dry for a time. uh, You know, Joseph already had planted himself and become the prime minister in Egypt through God's hand, God's providence. Now his brothers and all their family were there. His father Jacob had died there. But 
What did Joseph think of? What did Joseph see? He saw God's plan. He saw God's destiny for him. He thought of the promised land. And so today, I think we who are Christians must think of the promised land. We see this played out in Joseph's life. Exodus 13, 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. And then Joshua, we actually see the burial. Joshua 24, 32, and Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for 100 pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. So his father actually Many years before, it actually bought the land where he was buried. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. He was focused on the promised land. He trusted God by faith to make his promises come true. Not only God promised the promised land to the people of Israel, he also said to Abram, you will have many descendants. You will have more descendants than stars are in the sky or sands on the seashore. And so he remembered that. He had his eyes on the future. What did we just sing? For the Christian. God says, uh, and Jesus told them, his disciples before they left, don't worry. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And I have a place where there are many mansions. We sang in victory in Jesus. He has a mansion built for me in glory. The Bible says, for people who die with belief in Christ, who live by faith in Christ, that when we die, it is not the end. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, <coughs> our sins can be forgiven. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we will live forever in a holy place, the holy dwelling of God, a land where there are no tears or mourning, no pain, no disease, a holy city built for the people of God. And not only that, we'll see the people who have believed and lived by faith that have gone on before us, a promised land. Friends, it's important for us, I think, as we think about the potential, as we think about this sure reality that all of us will die one day, I, th I think we should live with a vision of the promised land, of where we ultimately want to end up. A second lesson here is the prime identity, the prime identity. Now, I'm not talking about math. I'm talking about of all the different roles that we play, of all the different identities that we might focus on, that we might see as our primary identity. What is our primary identity? Joseph's is clear. Hebrews chapter 11 is the chapter of faith. It's a great chapter which talks about Old Testament folks and and how they showed us who come behind them how to live by faith. In Hebrews eleven twenty two, 22, we come to Joseph, and it says this about Joseph. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. And what I think is so remarkable, what is so amazing about that is all the things it doesn't say about Joseph. I mean, we could learn lots of lessons about faith. We have been through this series, Lessons on Joseph. But listen, of all the things that could be written, that's what's written. Not by faith, when Joseph was betrayed, he did not become bitter. Or by faith, Joseph, when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife, did not yield to temptation. Or by faith, Joseph, when he was 
forgotten in prison, did not turn away from God. Or by faith, Joseph, when he met his brothers, he forgave them and did not seek revenge. You, any of those things you might think would be more important for the writer of Hebrews to give us. But what's he say? By faith, Joseph had his bones taken up. That is what he's saying is, Joseph's first and primary identity was as a son of God, a servant of God. You have lots of identities. Maybe it is your vocation, teacher, nurse, military man or woman, doctor, lawyer. Maybe you think of your identity as a son or daughter or as a a father or mother or grandfather or grandmother. All those are fine identities. But I wonder, I wonder if we could say with Joseph, my primary identity is as a son or daughter of God. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying by take my bones up. And it's quite remarkable. You think about it. Joseph was 17 when the Midianites uh, took him to Egypt, the slave traders. He died at 110. You do the math. 93 years of his life, he lived in Egypt. And yet, he always thought about home. And he always saw himself as a son of God, a servant of God. Friends, that's vital for us to think about. None of us know when our life will end. None of us know when Jesus will come back. But for that indefinite period, I think it is vital for us to think about what matters most. I think it is vital for us to think about what kind of values we'll live with, what kind of priorities we'll have in our life. That's what Joseph was thinking about. That's what Joseph shows us. Joseph is thinking about the future generations that'll come behind him. Joseph's thinking about how he will be remembered. And so today, if you don't hear anything else I say, think about this. How will you be remembered? And let me give you three lessons for today. The first is this. The greatest thing you can do is pass on your faith. The greatest thing you can do is pass on your faith. Let me say it another way. The, the thing that will last most is if you pass on your faith. If we think about what we often spend our time and, and have priority for, we, we think about building a career, we think about the financial material blessings we can have, we think about the business we can build and pass on. <laughs> Unfortunately, those things have a shelf life. All those things are not eternal. It is shocking to read about how many businesses, family businesses, don't make it to the third generation. Yet, what Joseph's saying here, what he's trying to teach us is that you need to understand that life is a relay race. And the kingdom of God is built upon generation after generation of prioritizing and valuing the loving and serving of God. And we take that baton and for a time, we are in charge of the legacy building. We're in charge of the kingdom of God for that time. And then we'll pass it on. All of us one day will die. We will have to pass it on. What kind of shape will we leave the kingdom in? What kind of legacy 
Will we lead? The greatest thing you can do, I think, is to show your kids, to show your grandkids. And listen, I'm talking to folks who maybe aren't parents yet. Listen, we all have this legacy building. We all have and are part of a church family that we pass on some kind of legacy. May our legacy be that we trust God and we walk by faith and not by sight, that we make building the kingdom of God a priority. That's the greatest thing that we can do. Secondly, the saddest thing you can do is to become bitter as you age. To become bitter, to become complacent, to lose our passion. You think about it. Abraham, he saw the promise only partially fulfill the promise from God to him. Isaac didn't see much of that. Jacob and Joseph die in Egypt. Yet they didn't grow bitter. They did not give up hope. They did not think, well, God must have not known what he was talking about. And the truth is this, that in your life, trials and troubles will come. You are not exempt because you're a Christian, because of your faith. But I tell you this. You do have a choice how those things are going to affect you, how you're going to respond to whatever life brings you. And may we respond in a way that remains positive and optimistic. May our trust and our hope in God never waver because we see what happens to some. They become bitter. They fall away. They let their life drift. My goal is, and I hope your goal is, that I be closest to God the day that I breathe my last. And that everybody who sees me sees that. Third lesson, the happiest way to live, the happiest way to live. Now, you might think I'm going to say a lot of different things. It might surprise you what I'm going to say, but this is what... I believe. This is what I think I learned from looking at the death of Jacob and the death of Joseph and all those who've gone before. The happiest way to live is to realize that God's work is bigger than you are. The happiest way to live is that to realize that God's work is bigger than you are. What's that mean? That means, listen, if I pour myself into, if I invest in the people that are younger than me, if I invest in the next generation and the generation after that, then I can know that that legacy will live on. It will bear eternal fruit. Really the only thing that matters, right? Not money, not stuff, not position, not prestige. That's what matters. And and so I, I look at God's word. I love Psalm 105. It says this, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. His faithfulness continues through all generations. (laughs) And you think about that. You know, we at Northside have seen growth. But what I love most about what God's doing here is that we're focused on those who aren't yet in charge. We're focused on those who are in our care. Right now in the ECC, 
in the kid zone, in the White House, in the upper room. That's who we'll pass the baton to. And we are investing in them for future generations. One day we won't be able to be a part of Northside Christian Church or even the living kingdom because we'll be on in the promised land, heaven. <laughs> what, will the, what will the next generation look like? That's within our, our grasp. And so we're doing that here. You know, you look up at the worship team today, Corey Connie on the drums, Matt Cowan on the bass. You think about our staff. We have Stephen Amos, who grew up here. We have Bo Tiller, my son, who will be doing the community meditation a little bit, who was a part-time youth minister for a time. Ben Cameron, part-time youth minister. J.J. Teeny, who we first came to know in Bible College. He has a home church up in North Missouri, but, but we really have helped him learn about ministry here. Isaac Neal, you know, Isaac now is, uh, I'm, uh, he's having a class where he has to ask me things about funerals and weddings and passing it on. But then their future elders and deacons, their future Sunday school teachers and, and servants in all kinds of ways. You see, I don't want you to understand, I'm just talking about investing in vocational leaders in the next generation of church. I'm, I'm not just talking about that. I'm saying that our sons and daughters back in those places, our ministries, they hopefully will be people who understand that living for God's not just something you do for an hour on Sunday, but it's something you do 24-7. It is who you are. It is your prime identity. So listen, friends, we have this great trust to pass it on. You know, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, after church on Sunday, well, I had a premarital counseling appointment at, at 3.30, and so I stayed to do that, but then I took off for East Tennessee. East Tennessee is where I, I had my first full-time ministry, uh, and I was at a church out in the hollers, uh, under, in the foothills, uh, the shadows, really, the Appalachian Mountains. I used to go up, hike up on top of the mountain on Sunday, or during, on Tuesday or Wednesday, and do my sermon for the next week. But while I was there in seminary, I was doing my seminary part-time while I was preaching full-time, I was assigned to have a direct minister supervisor. It needed to be another minister in the area. And so my ministry supervisor was a man named Ross Dampier. The reason I took off after church here on Sunday was to be in Bristol, Tennessee, uh, Monday night at 7 o'clock for his funeral. Ross almost made it to 93 years old. And when I was assigned a supervisor, I had to do this thing. I, I, I can tell you, I don't think I was real positive about it. I'm like, I got too much to do. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm going to school. I don't, I don't have time. And then I go, and this guy is like, he seems like forever ancient to me. He's almost 40 years older than me. And he told stories and laughed. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I'm wasting my time. But Ross had probably the greatest impact on me in ministry of any person. Separated by age, not very similar in personality. But Ross taught me about preaching and the preparation of sermons, about doing weddings and funerals and baptisms, about shepherding people uh, through the darkest days. 
So I went for his funeral. And I thought, how he invested in me. How he poured his life into me. And I think, in this room, there is so much that could be poured into the next generations. But it's our choice. If you were to pass away today, how would you be remembered? 1 Corinthians 15.55 says, yeah, the verse, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? I tell you this, I don't fear death. I don't fear death because I am doing my best to pour into and to build up the kingdom of God. So when I pass the baton, it'll be healthy and it'll do great things. God has taken away the sting of death. Stanley Collins was a, a soldier in World War II, British soldier. One night they were tired. They got to the place where they were going to camp. And just about as they were about to step on it, they found an unexploded landmine. And so the word was spread. Everybody avoid this area. There's danger here. Well, a few minutes later, Collins came back and he saw a soldier laying down with his head on the mine. He's like, what are, you, what are you doing? And then the soldier held up the pulled out firing pin. He disarmed the mine. What was an instrument of destruction now was a place to rest. What we're supposed to be most afraid of, death, if we live our life the right way, It'll be a place of rest. You got plenty of time to sleep when you're dead. How will we be remembered? Fathers, we think about these things today. I thank you for the life of Joseph, the lessons you teach us. I thank you for the death of Joseph, what you say to where we are today. Maybe we came in here shaky about your promises, that you will provide for us you will protect us. You will care for us. Maybe others of us came in here and, to be honest, we hit our spiritual peak some time ago. I'm so grateful that today is a new day. That we can get back that fire. We can resume that priority of first and most living for you, of pouring into, of investing in those younger than us. Help us to be faithful, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.